Don Gerica on SAFM. Into the topic, why are trade union membership, why is a trade union membership declining in South Africa and across the globe as well? Let's get a global and probably specifically UK perspective with the UK MP, former leader of the UK Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn. Pleasure to speak to you, Jeremy Corbyn. In your views, why are trade unions losing membership? Well, they're not. The trade union membership in Britain is going up. The teachers' union has just announced they've recruited 50,000 members Mm. in the past uh, month. And trade union membership as a whole has gone up uh, to um, 6.6 million in 2020. And it's more than that now. It rose by 118,000 last year. Albeit the majority of that rise is in the public sector, Mm. where there continues to be a decline but a slower decline in the private sector there is a resurgence a small resurgence of trade union membership and a huge resurgence of trade union activity in britain where the unions are really leading the way not just on wages and the cost of living crisis but also on many related um, social issues such as housing um, food prices and inequality within our society I'm seeing different numbers, though. In front of me, I've got manufacturing industry, for example, in 95, 32%. 2018, only 17% of workers were members of unions. Well, the the figures you've given are not really any different to what I was saying, that there was a period of decline from the brutality of the Thatcher Tory years and the anti-trade union legislation. Over the past um, decade and a half, trade union membership first of all, stabilized and then has um, begun to rise. And I said, as I said, about 100,000 a year are joining unions, which is, I'd like it to be more. This year, it will be considerably more. Mm. The industries where there is um, industrial action taking place, such as the railway industry, Mm. there is, on so far as the track maintenance and train operators are concerned, a very high level of union membership slightly less within the station and related staff. But what's interesting is the core unions like the Rail Maritime and Transport Union are increasingly representing contracted workers also, such as um, station cleaners, mm. catering workers, and they're often working for different companies. What's the other thing that's interesting about unions in the UK, but also in many ways across the world, has been the growth in union activity to recruit people into membership who work for companies like Amazon Mm. or Deliveroo or Starbucks or any of those chains that are traditionally very hostile to unions, but also some of whom work on a gig economy model where the workers have very little rights. And so for an example, uh, last week I was at a public meeting with Chris Smalls from the United States, who's organizing Amazon workers successfully in New York but also with an Uber drivers union where the uh, unions have won a case about the employment rights of people that Uber claimed were contractors. Mm. And um, uh, they've been legally forced to accept that they are employees and therefore they get the rights that go with it. So there is a legal issue going on as well as the issue generally of it, but it's often young workers And I'm sure it's the same in South Africa as it is in many other parts of the world that are the most grossly exploited through zero hours contracts Mm. and uh, payment for work only done. So in other words, you get a request from 
say, Uber or Deliveroo to deliver a meal to somebody. And um, then you don't get paid for waiting for the next order. So you're not an employee. You're waiting for a contract. I have to say that the anger about the treatment of these workers is quite palpable. And uh, tomorrow I'll be at a demonstration in uh, the east part of London, not your east London, <laughs> London city of, of London yeah. here, the east of where there was um, a terrible situation last week when a delivery rider collapsed from a heart condition, collapsed outside a block of flats and was not rendered any assistance by anybody for a while. And indeed, uh, reports are that the uh, people whose meal was late came out and asked what happened to their dinner while this mm. poor guy was lying on the ground. And so this has provoked a lot of anger in the community and it's become a recruitment point mm. for the union to get people into um, union membership to be treated with proper respect at work. What is the current state of the fragmentation of unions in the UK? Do you have big, powerful unions or a whole lot of little ones? Well, there are a smaller number of unions than there used to be. And there was a period from the late 1980s onwards when a lot of unions merged their activities. Uh, indeed, I used to be a union organiser at a union called the National Union of Public Employees, which um, became part of Unison, which is Britain's um, biggest union at the present time. And there were three unions went into that. Unite the Union is a very big union, broadly similar in size to Unison, and that has merged together the majority of transport workers and the majority of the engineering industry, which used to be the biggest employer in Britain. It isn't anymore because of high technology, outsourcing and manufacturing, increasing imports from China, and so on. There's a whole lot of factors. However, the unions that didn't merge, such as the very small but very effective train drivers union, remain very strong. Mm. And the Rail, Maritime and Transport Union was originally a merger of the rail workers and the seafarers. And that's as far as it goes. And as I understand it, they have no plans to merge with anybody else. They want to carry on as they are. So there are a smaller number of unions. Um, now, the issue of how you deal with inter-union relations is a perennial one. There is sometimes rivalry at the workplace, sometimes rivalry politically. Um, it is obviously a weakness if unions are divided. But I have to say that with the current industrial issues going on, there's mm. been the closest possible relationship working between the rail workers, the firefighters, civil servants, teachers and postal workers together. And that's why we now have a very big day of coordinated action right. on the 15th of March when the government will introduce its budget. And the big anger of the unions is the levels of inequality and I've just come from a rally of teachers in my own community where I was pointing out that uh, the richest 10% in Britain are 200 times more wealthy than the poorest 10% biggest biggest wealth gap there's ever been in Britain when we've been taking calls we've taking messages for the first couple of hours of the show not one person phoned in to say that they love the union and the unions are doing great work and they feel as if they've they've got something out of it what would you tell those people well, I think the whole principle of a trade union is that you come together at your workplace and in your industry in order to try and achieve and protect 
conditions at work, but you're also an important lobbying exercise. Now, I'll give you an example of the power of union campaigns and lobbying. Uh, a long time ago, long before I became even a councillor, never mind an MP, mm. I was involved in a campaign to bring about a national minimum wage in Britain. My union, the National Union of Public Employees, launched that campaign in 1970. And um, then 27 years later, I was part of a very large majority in Parliament that voted to bring in a national minimum wage, later to become a national living wage. Is it enough? No. Is it an important benchmark principle? Yes, because it also brought in the low pay commission who recommend what the annual increase should be. Now that came entirely from union uh, pressure. Mm. Many other great improvements in our lives, the number of bank holidays we mm. have, public holidays as they generally know uh, around the world, our national health service and so much else came from union pressure. And crucially, it was union pressure in the 1970s that achieved the Health Safety and Welfare at Work Act, which gave unions direct representation on safety at the workplace with the power of a union, if the workplace was dangerous, to shut down the workplace. And as a result of that, much criticised as it's been by employers <laughs> and right-wing commentators, has meant that our workplaces are much safer than they ever used to be, even in <clears throat> dangerous industries like agriculture and mining. I think that's the end of that line as well. Is that we lost? We lost the connection. Jeremy, do you would, sorry, Jeremy, just finish off that you were saying in in dangerous situation. Well, sorry, yes, the dangerous situation that uh, workers face in industries like mining or quarrying, mm. which are obviously extremely dangerous and are extraordinarily dangerous in South Africa. Um, we managed to turn by that process the British coal mining industry before it was closed down mm. into one of the safest mines in the world because of that degree of worker representation um, on safety issues. Um, but it is that right of the workers to be represented that's so important. And one of the proposals I was pushing very hard in the Labour Party was that publicly owned industries, of which there are still some in Britain, but in my view, not enough. We should be have more public ownership, particularly in railways and mail, for example, in water, um, is to have a direct representation of the workforce in it. So unions are a force for democracy in our society, as well as the direct representation. And whilst the media will always portray unions as the big dramatic stories like strike action by teachers mm. as is happening today around me, but it's also, and I know this is a former union official, most of my work as a union official, official was actually dealing with individual uh, problems that members had over right. safety at the workplace, over promotions being denied, discrimination, bullying, harassment, racist attacks, racism at the workplace. It was dealing with those issues. And this is where unions are such a force for good in our society. And actually, uh, the better employers will concede, it makes for better management. Jeremy Corbyn, thank you very much. UK MP and former leader of the UK Labour Party. We'll get a South African perspective with Mbazima Shiloh in a moment. Hashtag SAFM BTH.
Talk about trade unions. The original topic was why is trade union membership declining in South Africa and across the globe? You heard Jeremy Corbyn there saying it's not. It's increasing after a slight decrease, but now it's increasing again in the UK. What's the state of unions in South Africa? Former Premier of Gauteng and the former General Secretary of Kasatu, Mbaziwa Shalowa, joins us now. Mbaziwa Shalowa, thanks for joining us. What's the current state of union membership in South Africa? I think that it has declined... uh, uh I wouldn't say dramatically, mm. but it has uh, declined from uh, the high in uh, 1991, 92, after the unbanning of the ANC and other parties, as well as the lifting of the restriction on Kosatu, which was there, mm. but also because suddenly in the Bantustan areas, especially the TBVC areas, where trade unions were not allowed, they could uh, function uh, properly both in the public sector and in the uh, um, private sector areas like Isitabe, in KZN, and so forth, and also in uh, in Libua and Kazakulu. So that bumped up membership uh, very high. And further, with the new dispensation of the Labor Relations Act, Many felt they could easily go in there. But I think thereafter, once things stabilized, unemployed rising, uh, retrenchment happening, as well as the other changes in how the government related to the trade unions, many people have started deserting the unions, partly because of what government is doing and business, but also because they think that the unions don't serve their purpose uh, mm. any longer. Uh, one of the questions that you heard me ask, Jeremy Corbyn, was the, um, the fragmentation of unions in the UK. It seems as if that might be a problem in South Africa. We seem to have a lot of unions and they're all fighting with each other. Indeed. Uh, in, in South Africa, you also have a situation in which, uh, firstly, You've got, uh, I think, four to five uh, federations. And uh, also, after that fragmentation with the NUMSA moving out and SAFTA being formed, that also fragmented COSATU. That in itself does not have an impact on the membership because if people just move mm. into various trade union federations and unions, that wouldn't be a problem. I think what is the problem? is that there are many who think the unions have become business unions, they only collect funds, they don't service them, and therefore think it doesn't really matter whether I'm in or not, especially since, you know, there's also an agency fee which people pay if there's a majority union there. So I think the big problem is that uh, the unions are not servicing members Mm. the way they're supposed to in addition to retrenchment and everything else. So if unions were to go back to their basics, work that even if they were fragmented, that would not itself decrease the union membership. It would decrease their strength per federation, per union. But the reason why we're getting less people, we're now at 23% from when we were last year higher, when Kosatu used to be... 1.7 million, 1.9 was edging towards 2 million, and now very low, 
it must definitely be because of retrenchment, but also because people don't think the unions are saving them. Uh, yeah, let, let's talk about the, the word I liked earlier, casualization of the workplace. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn mentioned that as well, but our Uber drivers are looking to unionize. He mentioned Amazon uh, getting uh, unionization as well. Is that something in South Africa that is affecting the numbers, the, the amount of freelancers, for lack of a better word? It does impact on them, and I think also the unions in the world, and South Africa as well, have not been able to think, how do we organize a typical worker? Mm. You see, at my time as a trade unionist, you could go to one big uh, company, Eiffel Steel, Isco, BMW, and others, and, and sign a lot of members there. Now you can't just go into a factory because there are 20 workers here, 30 there, 10 there, and I don't think that uh, trade union organizers are trained mm. to deal with what is called atypical workers, casual workers. They're always looking at how can we organize in big companies because big companies bring more union members and therefore better trade union fees. Uh, you mentioned it quickly there that, that unions, uh, A, need to move with the times and to start going back to basics. What are the solutions? If you were in charge of Casato again and you were standing up in front of a, a big Indaba, what would be the thing that you would tell all the unions that they need to do to get better membership and to help the employees? What I would tell them is that uh, the first issue is not how much membership can we get, it's how do we service. Right. the membership that we have, because I think if we can service the membership that we have, by word of mouth, they will be able to say to others, we are being better serviced, we are doing very well, please come uh, on board. So that will be my first um, uh, call. The second one, obviously, will be to rethink how do we organize workers, especially workers who have been casualized, where you may find that the trade unions does not in itself encourage workers who are, um, you know, uh, casualized, mm. who are working for brokers because they don't have a single employer and people prefer where you can have a single employer, employer when you can go and organize. So it's a bit difficult. It's something that needs to be discussed by the trade unions across the world. But in South Africa, I would argue, the first call is to ensure service what you have because by word of mouth, it will bring you more workers. Mbazima Shalowa, thank you very much. Former Premier of Gauteng, former General Secretary of the Congress of South African Trade Unions, brings us to just after half past five.